So this will actually be the last lesson for spiritual gifts. Uh, and if you were keeping track, there would have been 12 lessons. I like the, the number 12 is kind of cool. I like that. I didn't plan that. It's just what happened. But So we had a dozen lessons in the spiritual gifts. Uh, today we're going to look at the last two, which are apostle and faith. So does anybody remember what we talked about last week? What was the two spiritual gifts we talked about last week? That's right. Yep, correct. Uh, I like when people can remember. Uh, I know when you're put on the spot like that, it's it's hard to remember. Someone asked me a question, I'm like, uh, you know, but then when I'm sitting at home, I'm like, oh, I knew that, you know. Uh, but yeah, we talked about tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, so in the Bible, when we're talking about tongues, what does the word tongue actually mean? Languages, exactly. Uh, there's nothing... Uh, special or different about this word, it actually means languages. Uh, it's not a made-up language. It's not babbling. It's not, you know, whatever. Uh, it's not a private language that someone's made up on their own that nobody else knows. Uh, it's a real human language that is already in existence before that point. Uh, so, uh, in the Bible, what is the gift of tongues? What, what happens when, when they're using the gift of tongues? We went over a couple of the instances last week. If you remember anything from those. Any thoughts or ideas? Autumn? Yeah, are you talking about in Acts 2? When he preached, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did go over Acts two, and Peter did preach. Uh, he spoke to uh, the Jews uh, in his message. Uh, did, did you have something to say, Steve? Yeah, it says uh, in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, I believe it is, uh, that the apostles had. Uh, specific things that set them apart uh, so that everybody would know that they are from God and, and being used by God. And tongues was part of uh, one of the things that the apostles had. Um, to uh, kind of give a uh, real base level uh, definition of what tongues is, it's the supernatural ability or gift to speak in a human language. Uh, that had not previously been learned by the one speaking. Uh, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2 uh, when the uh, apostles were speaking in tongues and everyone heard in their own language. That's what's happened in that case. Uh, all occasions of the gift of tongues in the Bible, uh, we will see that it is someone speaking in a real human language. Again, it's not something made up. It's not something private. Uh, so uh, th there's this thought that the gift of tongues has to be present to prove a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And we kind of briefly went over that last week. But I want to just take a few minutes and go over a few uh, pieces of evidence here from the Bible of why that's not the case. Uh, the gift of tongues does not have to be present to prove a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, first, I want to talk about Jesus. Uh, before uh, he fasted uh, f 
for 40 days and was tempted by Satan. There's a verse in Luke chapter 4. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, well, we have Jesus here filled with the Holy Ghost, but he didn't speak in tongues. Uh, Jesus didn't speak in tongues there, but he was filled with the Holy Ghost. It gives us proof uh, that you can be filled with the Holy Ghost without tongues being present. We also have Paul. Paul never spoke in tongues. He was not present in uh, with the apostles in Acts chapter 2 when they spoke in tongues uh, and when they were filled with the Holy Spirit there. But Paul was certainly filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 13, 9 uh, says, Then Saul, who is who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. So we have two examples there that uh, we know for sure the Bible tells us they are filled with the Holy Spirit, but they did not speak in tongues. So we know that it is possible. Uh, in Peter's preaching about salvation in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, here it does not tell them that they have to do anything other than come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ to receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, it doesn't mention tongues at all in that verse because it's not necessary. Uh, it doesn't say, uh, believe in Jesus and speak in tongues and then you will receive the Holy Ghost. It doesn't say that because that's not necessary. You believe in Jesus Christ and you're immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, turn to uh, John chapter 7 and look at verse 37. John chapter 7. John seven thirty-seven. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So we have uh, here Jesus telling about salvation. Uh, and it says, This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Again, this is another good verse to prove that it, you don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's just a made-up concept by man. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say, He that believes in me then speaks in tongues will receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, it doesn't say that because tongues has nothing to do uh, with receiving the Holy Spirit. You believe in Jesus Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone that truly puts their faith in Jesus uh, as their Savior will immediately be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there are two ways that the gift of tongues was used in the Bible. Uh, one was in Acts chapter 2. We went over that last week. Um, and they spoke, and others miraculously heard in their own language. But there was another way that we talked about last week, and it was with an interpreter, uh, like Paul writes about in Corinthians. 
Uh, we know from Paul's writings that rules came with speaking in tongues. Uh, does anybody remember any of the rules that Paul talks about when speaking in tongues? Yes, it actually uses the phrase in course, which means an allotment of time. So you get one person at a time uh, speaking. And, and did you have an idea? Yeah, it says two and no more than three. Uh, they don't want, you know, 150 people all speaking in different languages and then everybody being confused at the end uh, because you didn't fully understand everything. Uh, so, yeah, it says two or at most three. Steve? Yeah, Paul says that there must be an interpreter. Obviously, in the case of where it happened miraculously and everybody heard in their own language, uh, that wasn't necessary. But uh, in every other case that we see, there has to be an interpreter there because if you're speaking in a different language, what good does it do anybody if nobody understands what you're saying? Anybody else have any other thoughts? David? What was that? Yeah, yeah. It's just supposed to be done in order. It's supposed to be done in a manner that others can come to Jesus for salvation. Uh, if there's just chaos uh, and, and you know nobody's understanding what's being said, then people can't trust Jesus as their Savior. Uh, and then for those uh, that are already saved, it's, it's supposed to be done in a way that would edify the church, may, allow the church to be closer to Jesus, to grow spiritually. Uh, should, should be done in order. God's word says things should be done in, you know, decently and in order. Any any other thoughts? Yes, Stephanie. Okay. Yeah, you know, I've thought that too. Um, I didn't see enough evidence in there to make a, a, a distinct ruling on that uh, topic. Um, so it's very possible that when they spoke, that they spoke in the language of the other people. It's possible. Or it's possible that when they spoke, they spoke in their own language and everybody heard in their own language. Personally, I feel like it's probably that. I think that they spoke in their native language and everybody just understood it as if they were speaking in their own language. That, that's how I think it reads, um, but I can't say definitively on that one. Steve? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And there are, uh, you know, we don't have every single piece of information about what exactly took place then. We know that uh, many or all of the apostles did speak at some point um, and that everyone heard in their own language. We don't know uh, that when each one spoke individually that everybody heard in separate languages or just one apostle spoke over to this language and one apostle spoke to that language. Uh, we don't know that for sure. We don't know even... Maybe they were in small groups, 
you know, and they were speaking in each group or, you know, there's, there's a little bit in there that we don't know, uh, for certain. Uh, but when Peter does preach, um, he does, uh, preach to the people that are living in that area and he calls out to the Jews specifically. And it does say, uh, directly before he preaches, uh, one of the people there pointed out that they are Galileans, uh, you know, and, and, they, but yet everybody's hearing in a different language. Uh, so there are some things we don't know, you know, for certain. Uh, again, those are good questions to ask God when we get to heaven, though. So uh, he'll be able to tell us exactly what happened. All right. So we know the gift of tongues was used uh, in the Bible and it was used in a miraculous way in the Bible. But that way has ceased to happen. It actually uh, stopped happening in that manner early in the New Testament. We don't even see it throughout the New Testament. It, it stopped uh, completely. So uh, we'll... Uh, end with reviewing tongues there and we'll move on to the spiritual gift of apostles so go ahead and turn to ephesians chapter 4 ephesians chapter 4 and we'll look at verses 8 and 11 It says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Skip down to 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Uh, So we're going to look at the gift of apostles. So what is an apostle? Anybody know how would you define what an apostle is? Uh, With Jesus, yes, uh, that would be part of it. Um, not just with him, but also called by him and serving, like actually actively accepting that call and serving with him. So uh, someone that physically seen Jesus with their own eyes, called by Jesus, accepted the call, and actively served him. Uh, so can this happen today? Can there be an apostle living in the world today that we live in now. Well, people absolutely are called by Jesus to do uh, specific things, uh, you know, various things still today. Uh, people do actively serve him today. Uh, there are plenty of people serving Jesus today. Uh, it would be nice if everyone was, and, and that would be great. But there are people serving him. There are people called by him. Uh, but people have not seen Jesus with their own eyes. We do not have the ability to see Jesus with our own eyes. So it's possible to meet many of the requirements to be an apostle, uh, even still today. But one of the requirements cannot be met here on earth today because we cannot physically see Jesus. Now, we can see Jesus in creation um, and all kinds of things like that, and I get that. Uh, but you can't physically see Jesus. Uh, so what is the uh, purpose of apostles? We're going to look at the purpose of apostles. The work of the apostle was to build the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2:19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So we need to understand uh, why we have these verses here. Paul 
uh, is writing to the church at Ephesus here, and this is about 30 years after the death of Jesus. Uh, Paul is giving the foundational information about salvation and how they should live for Christ. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 2, we have Paul laying down the foundational verses about the appropriate way to obtain salvation. Like in verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Uh, this is the work that the apostles were called to do. Uh, they uh, were called by Jesus to lay the foundation of the church on the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, so the apostles here are actually filling a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, as we know, had a completely different method of salvation. Uh, it involved obtaining righteousness through individual sacrificial atonements made uh, and, and to God, and they were to be done over and over again. Uh, the New Testament, as we know, has Jesus Christ, uh, who is our one and only atonement and the only sacrifice we will ever need to obtain righteousness through him. Uh, so obviously there's a difference here, and the apostles lived in this uh, in both of these times. Uh, they bridged the gap. Uh, they were specifically called to preach salvation of Jesus to the people who at that time might have still been believing the Old Testament way of righteousness. Now, they were preaching and teaching salvation of Jesus, which was new to a lot of the people that they talked to at that time. Uh, they also had to do the work of teaching the new way of the church age, and again, building this new way on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, so look at those verses again, Ephesians 2:19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Uh, that was the purpose of the apostles, building the church on Jesus Christ. Uh, the apostles were called and existed for a specific time and for a specific purpose. And this time is uh, over now. The, the time of the beginning of the New Testament, the beginning of salvation through Jesus Christ, uh, the beginning of that is over. Uh, salvation through Jesus exists today, obviously, and it has for uh, 2,000 years since his death. So the, the point is that it's not new anymore, like in the day of the apostles. Uh, the purpose of the apostles is now over. Uh, the foundation has been laid. They did that work already. Uh, they laid the foundation on the chief cornerstone of Jesus. Uh, that is the work that the apostles did 2,000 years ago, and it's already done. It's already laid. Uh, once a foundation is poured, you don't go back and re-pour it. Uh, the, the purpose of the apostles uh, and that time frame of the apostles existed in the past, and now it's over. Uh, so now let's move on to the last spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of faith. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
1 Corinthians 12, we'll look at verses 8 and 9. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So we have the gift of faith here. Uh, so my first thought is when I, when I started looking at this to, to teach it this morning, I thought, well, isn't faith something we all have? Well, well, I certainly hope so. I hope all of us have some level of faith. Uh, faith, uh, a definition can actually be found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Basically, believing in something you cannot see and maybe can't even prove. Uh, that's what faith is. Uh, isn't it good when God uses the Bible to define things for us? Uh, we know without a doubt that is the definition of faith. Uh, my hope is that everyone here has some level of faith, uh, but we all are different and we're all going to be in different places uh, here concerning faith. I'm going to look at some levels of faith, uh, some levels of faith. So we have saving faith. Uh, Ephesians 2 a for by grace ye are saved through faith. Uh, so we have saving faith. Uh, we must have this level of faith to be a child of God. Uh, to be able to obtain eternal life, you must have saving faith. Uh, uh, to be saved, we must have faith in Jesus Christ alone as our personal Savior. Uh, God has grace on us and offers us salvation but only if we place our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, so my hope and my prayer is that everyone here has this level of faith. My desire is that all the people that I ever see could have this saving faith. So obviously when I'm out in public, uh, out in the world, not everyone has this faith. So it is my job and it's your job to tell them about Jesus uh, and tell them about how faith in Jesus will give them eternal life in heaven and they will not have to spend one minute in hell or one minute in the lake of fire. So first we have saving faith. Next we have doctrinal faith. And these are just titles I came up with. So uh, doctrinal faith. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, and then Luke eleven twenty eight, But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Uh, we're talking about faith in the word of God, faith in the Bible, uh, faith in every word that is in the Bible, and that every word in the Bible is true, believing every single word of our Bible. Uh, if God says something, we should believe it. It's that simple. Uh, if it's written in God's word and has been preserved for thousands of years and not altered or changed, uh, then God wants us to see it. God wants us to read it, but God wants us to believe it. Uh, God's word says uh, that God spoke the world into existence. You can find that in the Bible, and I believe it. I didn't see it happen. I can't see it happen. There's no way to go back and see it happen, but I believe it. That's faith. Uh, God's Word said that God sent Jesus to save us, and I believe it. Uh, God's Word says that God listens to the prayers of His children, and again, I believe it. Uh, if it is in God's Word, I believe it. Uh, we need to have faith in what God says in His Word. We need to believe what God tells us 
in his word. So we have saving faith, doctrinal faith. Uh, next, we have daily faith, uh, daily faith. Uh, in Jesus' model prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, we should have faith that God will provide for us and take care of us every moment of every day. Uh, now, that sounds simple, sounds easy, uh, but sometimes uh, I don't think we give much thought to it, and we try to take care of ourselves each day. I think it's real easy to get in the habit of trying to uh, make sure you're going to do everything that needs done, uh, and you plan ahead uh, to make sure everything's planned out perfectly, and if it ain't going to work out, you start worrying about it. Uh, that's not having faith that God will take care of you. Now, I'm not saying don't plan ahead. I like to plan ahead. I'm a planner, so I get it. Uh, but we need to have faith that God's going to take care of us. If you're not sure if you have daily faith, just look at yourself and see if you worry about a bunch of different things. Uh, if you're concerned about way too many things, uh, then daily faith is probably not there because worry is the absence of fear. Uh, when Jesus tells us to pray about getting our daily bread and, and just giving it to God and, and allowing God to take care of you, uh, we should wake up in the morning and ask God to take care of us and then just trust him, have faith in him to do just that, uh, to have uh, God has the power to take care of us, to give us what we need each day. Uh, we need to have faith that he will do it. That's daily faith. And then the last one I have is, uh, the last level of faith that I have is deep faith. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, deep faith. Matthew chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Uh, Jesus says that they have little faith. And really, I think this is a sad moment. Uh, Jesus confronts them and tells them straight out that their faith is small. Uh, this was a missed opportunity. Uh, they all had the chance to have such strong faith that they could not have worried. Uh, they all had the opportunity to just trust Jesus. They had Jesus with them, physically with them, on the same ship. And, and their faith wasn't good enough or, or deep enough uh, to, to keep them from worrying about their situation. Uh, they uh, did not have to be so overly concerned. They could have had the kind of faith that they could have just sat back and waited for Jesus to take care of it. Uh, this is what deep faith is. It is faith rooted so deep in your relationship with God that you don't even flinch when adversity comes. Now, I know it's silly, but when we were kids, we'd try to make each other flinch, you know, and we'd come up and like clap your hands right in each other's face. And then, you know, you make fun of them because they flinched. And, I mean, kind of how do you not in that situation? Uh, but, you know, as kids, you try to do that. And so then you, uh, you know, try to not flinch when they do it, that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, uh, so concerning faith, 
Uh, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's impossible to not even flinch when something happens. Uh, well, it, it's, it's not impossible. Uh, look just uh, earlier in this chapter at verse 8 and verse 10. So it's Matthew chapter 8, verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Uh, then look at verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Uh, this uh, man was in a moment of adversity here. Uh, someone close to him, someone he cared about, was very sick and dying. Uh, this man went to Jesus in faith and asked him to heal the sick man. Uh, the, the man says to Jesus that he didn't even have to go and touch him. And he didn't even have to go and see him. Uh, he had so much faith that he knew that if Jesus just spoke it, then it absolutely would happen. This is the kind of faith that uh, we talked about, uh, Pastor talked about the other day, the kind of faith that moves mountains. Uh, we can have this kind of deep faith as well. Uh, some people have deep faith like that. Uh, when when a believer just quits their job to go preach uh, the gospel, uh, that's a deep faith. You know, n not knowing how it's going to turn out or, or leaving maybe a job that pays really, really well to go and serve God. How about when a missionary surrenders to go to a foreign land? They have no idea. All the churches that support them could close up in a week. And they, you just don't know what's going to happen. That takes deep faith to do that, along with not just financially, but all the other things involved in going to a foreign land and being around people that uh, you, you, know, you don't know their customs and everything so well. That takes a lot of faith, but people still do that. Missionaries are still surrendering to go to foreign lands. Uh, people take big steps of faith for God all the time. Those big steps of faith take deep faith. Uh, so the gift of faith is all of these levels of faith. I think it includes all of them. Uh, when thinking about what the spiritual gift of faith is, it's apparent that it is all of these levels of faith. Uh, to be blessed with the gift of faith means that you will have saving faith. Uh, you'll have doctrinal faith. You'll, you, you have the faith in Jesus that will save you. You have the faith in God's word of what everything that is in there is true and right. Uh, you'll have daily faith that each day when you wake up, you just simply pray, God, take care of me today, and you believe he's going to do that. And then you have this deep faith that when God asks you to do something uh, that you just don't know how it's going to turn out, and you take that step and do it anyways, that's deep faith. Uh, some people are gifted in this area, but it is also a gift that we all could have. Uh, every child of God can have such deep faith that they could move mountains. Uh, this uh, person that takes this deep faith uh, step, uh, does that mean that, that they have the power to move the mountains? Do, just because they have the faith, are they able to move the mountain? Do they have the power to move the mountain? That is actually God's power. They don't have the power. The faith doesn't give them the power. Uh, it's God's power. We have access to God's power through this deep faith, though. Uh, so the last thing I want to address about deep faith is that we do not serve a God that has to obey us. 
I think some people uh, get this confused. I'm, I'm not really necessarily talking about you, but out there, some people get this confused uh, that if you have enough faith, God has to do what you believe he's going to do. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the term name it, claim it, but there's no truth in that. Uh, some people believe that we can have anything. We could do anything as long as we have enough faith. And, and that's the only, uh, the, the only requirement is if we have enough faith, it is going to happen then. And then if it doesn't happen, they say, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. But they never consider the fact that it might just be that God said no. It might just not be God's plan. You can have 100% faith in an area that is not God's plan. Uh, and if God says no, it won't happen. God doesn't have to make it happen just because we have faith that it could happen or it will happen. Uh, so we don't serve a God that has to obey us. Uh, we serve a God that if we have enough faith in his plan, that it will come to pass. So now we have gone over all of the spiritual gifts. Uh, so now what? Uh, I don't know if you guys remember taking the spiritual gift assessment in the very beginning. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember your gifts that were on that, but you, you now have that information. Uh, I don't, was anybody surprised at any of the gifts that they found on their assessment? If you remember from, uh, what was that, uh, 10 weeks ago? <laughs> so, it, was anybody surprised by any of those gifts that were on there that, you know, that they, uh, surprised that they had any of those gifts? I, I think most of us kind of know how God wants to use us. I think it's also good to have that to kind of remind us to look at and, and say, uh, you know, this is what God gave me. And I need to start using it for God. I gave you, after the week after we did the assessment, I gave you a certificate for you to fill out at home. And you probably all lost it. <laughs> I know exactly where mine is. It's not hung up on the wall like I said we should do, though. But I know exactly where it is. Uh, so you, the idea was that you would write down your spiritual gift on that certificate. And you would put it somewhere that you would actually see it. Mine's actually at the bottom of a stack of papers. But again, I know it's there. Uh, but uh, the idea is that you actually see it. And when you see that, you can then pray and ask God, how do you want me to use this gift? Uh, is there anything new you want me to do with this gift? Uh, am I currently using this gift the way you want me to do it? The purpose of getting a gift is to use it. Uh, so you, we all have the knowledge and information needed to serve the Lord with whatever gift or gifts. I believe that God has blessed us with many gifts, not just one. Uh, but uh, we have the information we need to be able to serve him with these gifts. It's now time to start serving. Uh, many of us are already serving. Maybe uh, there's areas we could uh, add to our service to the Lord. Uh, if you've found that you're blessed in an area that you are not currently using to serve God, then now is the time to start serving him in that area. Now, I used to think uh, when I was younger that I didn't really know how God wanted me to serve him. I knew, obviously, for sure that God wanted to use me, um, and I was just always uh, not sure about it. But if that's you this morning, first of all, you're not alone. A lot of people uh, want to know what God wants them to do, and they pray about it and try to figure that out. But uh, most children of God have thought that at some point. Uh, I've learned along the way that if you ask God what he wants to do, what he wants you to do, he will show you. Uh, so what that means is that if 
something needs done and you're there, God is showing you that. Uh, basically, if you see something needs done, do it. Uh, God has placed you there for a reason. Uh, God will help you be able to do whatever it is that needs done. Uh, and you'll probably be able to see that your spiritual gifts will help you do that service to God as well. You'll see that it all matches up and it all lines up. Now, uh, if uh, we know that every child of God has a gift or many gifts, and I fully believe uh, that we need to use these gifts. Uh, we know that whatever God gives us, we need to be good stewards of. Everything, not just money, everything, our time, our resources, our spiritual gifts. We need to be good stewards of all of it, of anything God gives us. So if God gave us one gift or two gifts or five gifts, we need to use them all for him. So if you're not using your gifts to serve God, uh, then you're not being a good steward of what God has trusted you with, of what God's blessed you with. Uh, and you won't be a servant that gets to hear the wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. So my uh, advice is that we all start using all of our gifts to serve God. Let's pray.